0: Radio Hour of the Week on a day of incredible importance. Game three of the World Series tonight in Chicago. Josh Tomlin, the little cowboy, will take the mound. I'm joined by Dr. Larry Arne, who, in addition to being the president of Hillsdale College, my interlocutor on these, the Hillsdale dialogues, and you can find out everything about Hillsdale College at Hillsdale.edu. And everything about the the Hillsdale Dialogues, which are four years now in their breadth and depth at hughforhillsdale.com, hughforhillsdale.com, binge listen your way through Western civilization. Dr. Arn is not only those things and the leader of a great seminar on totalitarianism, he is a baseball man and has previously revealed he is an Indians fan. And uh, and I believe that you have been enjoying my David Axelrod uh, bipartisan baseball ball moments. It's a good thing that we have sport, isn't it, that we can agree on. Didn't the Greeks lay down their endless wars, at least for a period of time in the ancient days, to, to partake in sport, Dr. Arn?
1: Well, during the, the original Olympic Games, uh, people who were, were at war, death, at death uh, grip with each other, would stop and go to the games. And uh, they, were, they were a proxy for the wars. Uh, sport is a proxy both for war and politics. Baseball is the most perfect proxy for American politics, by the way. It's just a wonderful thing.
0: Ex- expand on think- that for just a moment. Expand on
1: that. Well, um, so most sports are uh, attacking a point. It's like war, right? Football and basketball and soccer, and they're wonderful things, right? Baseball is not like that. Baseball moves in circles. Uh, The circle is the perfect shape. Uh, Baseball touches infinity because there's no standard size for the ultimate length of a field. It's infinite as to space, and it's also infinite as to time. There's no clock. The thing about introducing some minor clocks, and I'm not at all sure I'm for that. I'm against it. Baseball is something to tend to while you're doing something else.
0: Yeah, I am and, uh, against it. I am fully against it. Even though I had to suffer through Mike Hargrove is the manager of the Indians, the human rain delay as he was called by Tom Hanks the other <laughs> night. On uh and, and it's a batter he would uh, infinitely adjust in the batter box. So I got through that. Nevertheless, you mentioned to me that George Washington, I did not know this. George Washington well, played a form of baseball.
1: There's a there's a biography big fat one of George Washington by a man named Harrison Clark. Uh called All Cloudless Glory. It's three volumes long. And he mentions in there that George Washington played rounders, which is the precursor to baseball. Uh, it, it, and, and just think of the importance. First of all, baseball, uh, baseball. it's almost pure that uh, everybody acts individually. Uh, each, the, the, the pitcher throws, then the hitter hits, then the fielder fields. Right? And the runner runs, right? So it, it looks like individual performances, but we know, we who really understand or love baseball enough to pay attention to it, we know the teams are what win baseball games. So that makes it just like American politics.
0: Uh, it does. It does. And that would make the Indians Lincoln. <laughs>
1: It might be. It I might think so.
0: I, I, and, and the Cubs, I could only say Millard Fillmore. I mean, uh, uh, do we say uh, <laughs> James Buchanan? Who are they trying to wreck the Indians' dream and destroy the union of perfect synchronicity in Cleveland in 2016? Because, you know, if uh, it, this is not partisan. I'm just making obje- You know, You're the nonpartisan head of Hillsdale College. But if Donald Trump were to win... The Cavaliers will have won before his nomination, which occurred in Cleveland, and the Indians will have won after his nomination, and I assume the inaugural will be moved to the lakefront.
1: (laughs) That would be uh, as great, it wouldn't be, but it would be almost as great an act as as Reagan moving it around to the other side of the White House so he could take in his very great first inaugural uh, tour with us of the monuments and of Arlington Cemetery. It uh, was Reagan. a great speech. That was
0: a great speech.
1: Very great
0: man. Uh, now, let me turn to Brave New World, because uh, I, I, people were mad at me last week. I took a week off because I was in Vegas for the debates, and I explained to them, occasionally Dr. Arne has to do something, or I have to do something. We can't do the Hillsdale Dialogue, and they will have nothing of it. I am flogged on the Internet uh, for not having Dr. <laughs> Arne, and I am flogged relentlessly for not having Dr. Arne. So would you, uh, would you, for the new listener, we just picked up Charleston and a couple other places, Tell them about the totalitarianism seminar you are leading, and we are in the third book of that series, Brave New World. Uh, We began with 1984, and then we went to Darkness at Noon, and it's fascinated a lot of people, Brave New World by Albus Huckley is now our book, but but tell them about the seminar overall.
1: Uh, Well, um, something happened in the 20th century that uh, is amazing and wonderful and fearsome, and that is a new kind of tyranny emerged. And the word totalitarianism was invented to describe it, and it differs from the old tyranny. Tyranny is an old word that just means the rule of one person in his own interest instead of the public interest. It's a very vile and terrible thing in the classical world, And and it is destructive of human excellence. In fact, it perpetuates itself by that. Totalitarianism differs from it in two respects. One is it's much more comprehensive and intense, and it uses the tools of modern science to do that. It means that every conversation can be heard. It means that uh, children are conscripted as spies against their parents, and the upbringing of the children is essentially overtaken, taken away from the parent. It means that there's no privacy. There's no place to be alone. It means that uh, in 1984, for example, the worst crimes are thought crimes, and the look on your face and your and your body language is observed and and uh, and parsed out. And to be arrested is to be guilty. So there's that. Modern science makes that possible. And then. Also, you have to see a big thing, and that is ancient societies were not rich enough to take 15 or 20 or 30 percent of the population and conscript them as professionals observing and restricting the others. you got to have modern science to produce enough wealth to make that happen. The second respect is, if you can imagine it, even worse, because uh, ancient tyranny had to pretend be just. It had to pretend to be for the people. Uh, tyranny, Aristotle writes, grows from democracy or from the many. Oligarchy grows from the few, from the aristocrats. Uh, and they have to make a claim, right? Well, the new principles which pervade the academic world today, uh, these new principles say that there isn't any sin, any, anything right or wrong outside our making it. And so what these these totalitarian societies do is they announce a whole new kind of society with the explicit purpose of reforming and remaking human nature. It is an engineering project to work upon the people, and And its justification is itself.
0: And novelists have been trying to anticipate its contours, or at least its great dilemmas. And that brought us to 1984, then Darkness at Noon. Darkness at Noon, a look backwards at the birth of totalitarianism. 1984, a look forwards, as was Brave New World, which was actually written before either of them. And and we pick up there, and last week we talked about the hatching of babies and the moving of science really is chilling, actually, to step back and look at how science now pervades everything. I sent you a blog post earlier about sabermetrics, the science invasion of baseball. And the author writes about how that's actually moved into every single thing that we do. Science claiming to be able to predict even as it can. not It's now everywhere and always about us with expert telling that they know what to do.
1: That's right. And they, uh, you know, that's... Uh, the, the greatest practitioners of sabermetrics in baseball know better than that. They know that it, in the end, matters what people do and character counts and all that stuff. And they, they're they trying – Bill James, who I think is a very wise man, who invented a lot of this. I, he, he understood that there were things here that couldn't be quantified, and so it couldn't be reduced. The human element could, could be uh, Predicted better if you use sabermetrics, but in the end, it's inside the person who does it. And uh, you know, just b- baseball is a great achievement. Like learning is a great achievement. You got to really want to, and you got to be very talented. And the talent can kind of be measured in the want to a little bit, but those vary. So anyway, the thing is, like the Indians, right, and the and the Cubs, they're both on a holy campaign right now, a crusade. And they're playing extremely well. It's just delightful to watch.
0: But it would be more delightful if it was over in three more games. I'll be right back with yeah. Dr. Larry and I'm, I'm not going to go soaring into flights of fancy. I just want three more W's, America. And I'm sorry, Cubs fans, that's just the way it is. We'll be right back with Doctor Arn as we talk about Brave New World John the Savage and where we go after that. Don't go anywhere. The Hillsdale Dialogue continues except to cue for Hillsdale dot com and Hillsdale dot EDU. Twenty two minutes after the Hour America, Hugh, Hugh with Doctor Larry Arn in the last radio hour of the week devoted to the Hillsdale Dialogue. Except this week the last segment will be my Bipartisan Baseball Balm with David Axelrod. Dr. Arne, this is our short segment. And so about Brave New World, I wanted to raise something very specific, which is its dependence upon Shakespeare. John the Savage often quoting from the Taliban, from the Taliban, from Caliban uh, conversation in the Tempest. He quotes Miranda saying, oh, wonder how many godly creatures, goodly creatures there are, how beauteous mankind is. Oh, brave new world that has such people in it! Huxley stole the oh, brave new world, an ironic twist. She was waxing about the good, not about Caliban. And I had to go back and reread the Tempest stuff and listen to our dialogue to get ready for this. And I'm fascinated that that the the brave new world is so dependent upon the Shakespeare within it.
1: Well, there 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 are a few books, several uh, most uh, Shakespeare most prominent. That that constitute the alternative to the Brave New World and to the other kind of society they show in there, which is a savage reservation where people live, you know, in huts with di- dirt floors and don't have running water and all that. Those are the two kinds of society that are presented, but there's a third hinted at, and it actually lives in the safe of the World Controller Mustafa Mond. And he is an interesting man. He's an educated man. In some sense, he's an unhappy man. But he keeps those great books like Shakespeare uh, in his safe, locked up, although he's sometimes indiscreet and mentions this fact. And he himself, there are two people who quote Shakespeare in this book, and one of them is The Savage, and the other is Mustafa
0: Yeah.
1: Now, The Savage, uh, who is uh, – it turns out that his mother – was a, was a citizen of Brave New World, uh, a beta plus. It's a very strict caste system. Her name is Linda. And she goes on a trip to the reservation like a tourist trip. It's hard to get to go if you get to go. And she got to go, and she's lost in a rock slide there, and she's cut off. And then in a second important accident, it's discovered that she's pregnant Uh, That's the worst abomination. Uh, It's pornography and smut in Brave New World. Is any talk of family, uh, babies, having babies by the natural means, fatherhood, but above all, motherhood. That's the most pornographic thing to say. People are embarrassed when it's mentioned. So she has a baby coming, and that's because she failed in her contraceptive regimen. And uh, that's a grave ill. And so she was ashamed to go back to the brave new world. She could have just identified herself to the warden of this reservation. And she's ashamed. And so she has the baby. And now this baby is raised. And and, uh, the savage, he's called John. uh, He's raised sort of in both worlds. He grows up in this tribal society. But he has this mother who teaches him things about bright new world. And then here comes a third accident. It turns out there were some old books in this hut where he grew up. We don't know how they got there. There aren't many, but they turned out to be really good ones. Important ones, and, yeah. Uh, and uh, Shakespeare is among them. And so he's the only person alive except Mustafa Amin, whom we meet, who grows up reading Shakespeare, and so he is a member of two of the uh, uh, of two societies that are presented there. Uh, uh, he's a member of the of the Savage tribe. He, he takes a code of honor from them that is adapted by Shakespeare, and he's a member of that world that lives in the safe in Mustafa Mans' uh, office, and he is not. Member, he's never fully. uh, The savage is also a man without a home. He's never at home in the reservation because he's an outsider and he's treated like that. And he's never at home in Brave New World because it offends both his sense of honor and his sense of civilization, which includes reverence for women and unwillingness to have. Sex with them out of wedlock, which is a prime violation
0: of the code of bravery. It, it includes a, a natural law sort of conscience. It's it's fascinating. Don't go anywhere, America, Dr. Arn. We'll be back on the Hillsdale Dialogue. Welcome back, America Chew Hewitt, third and final segment of today's Hillsdale Dialogue, last radio hour of the week with Dr. Larry Arn or one of his colleagues from Hillsdale College, the Lantern of Light in the North, the beacon of all that is right and true in America. You can read everything about Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. They have many free, absolutely free online courses. If you sign up for Imprimus, it's their monthly speech digest. They will send it to you absolutely free of charge it goes to millions of people each month it's the i uh, the literate core of the republic receives in primus and you ought to be one of them and all of our dialogues about matters great in the civilization of the west are collected at you dot hillsdale.com going back and you can binge listen to four years ago uh, we have accumulated them we are now following Dr. Arnn's seminar on totalitarianism, our last few minutes talking about Brave New World. It's a novel. I don't want to give away the end. I want people to, to work for themselves to get to the end if they want to. But, Dr. Arnn, which book do we turn to next in your seminar?
1: Uh, well, we're going to read That Hideous Strength by C.S. Lewis, uh, another of these four totalitarian novels. It is such uh, a good book. Wow. Every, every time, I, I'm, I, we're all whipped by storms in my class The class is fantastic and uh, from my point of view at least and uh, we always think the book that we're reading right now is the best of them all <laughs> so, so we're, we're, right now I'm of the conviction that C.S. Lewis's book is the greatest book. It I think it is
0: I, it is very good although Darkness at Noon has provoked many many people who had never our conversations who had never heard of it picked it up or remembered it to go and do so I don't know that they'll do so about Brave New World or 1984 because they're more familiar but they ought to go read that hideous strength before we begin next week Let's finish with John the Savage in the, in the Land of Soma and Sex. And there was something in a in a Catholic high school it was hard to come by Brave New World. There was so much about sex but not the sex that 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 human beings naturally know but the licentiousness orgy soma-driven frenzies that the nuns were just, frankly, uncomfortable with that book. And uh, they were uncomfortable with what Brave New World was all about, as John is with London of 600 years in the future, AF after Ford. But at the end of it, what do we want to tell people about the lessons that Huxley has between the wars, about what he sees coming?
1: Well, uh, we, we know, we, I'm pretty confident from these sources that actually believed that the brave new world was coming and that it would be sturdy and uh, unassailable as it appears in the book. Uh, it is much more, wow. a society much more safe in, in in its stability and comfortable than the societies in either of these three novels. All of those three are under terrible stress. And they, they they use power to overcome that stress, but the friction is constant. In Brave New World, the, the action of it is all around an experiment that the world controller, Mustafa Mond introduces to see what will happen. He's very sure that the society will be sturdy, and it is. Huxley wrote to Orwell that he thought that his prediction, Orwell, who wrote 1984... Was uh, more likely, much more likely to result that pleasure would be a superior mechanism to corrupt people than pain. Uh, and and uh, in his preface, written 20 years later to Brave New World, where he criticizes the book and says how he would write it again if he wrote it again, uh, he also says that he thinks that this is where we're going. Uh, that is that uh, in a world where science can take care of everything for us, we can have whatever we want, uh, we will lose our humanity hmm. uh, and and our humanity is what it's it 's uh, uh, dealing with a universe in which we have knowledge of the universe that is divine in its operation and yet in which we have mortal bodies that have pain and face death and uh, in Brave New World they attempt to overcome all of the bad things by pleasure and they do successfully from the point of view of the novel and that means that nobody has anything serious to do uh, the way they deal they can't banish the stresses of life these are still actually human beings even if they are designed, manufactured Conditioned and constantly reminded of uh, of how they're to live. That, that's all true, but uh, but they also have to have a drug that they can take called soma, like body, and and uh, from a word meaning body. And they uh, and they t- and this drug is non-addictive, and you can take all of it if you want. And they take it all the time, which is a proof that just the conditioning and the manufacturing and all of that is not enough because like one thing that happens that shows the uneasiness underneath all this is that people are constantly jealous. Ah. They're not supposed to be jealous. You're supposed to have sex with anybody you want, but if you're taller and better looking and more athletic and more influential in your job, you get more girls and you get more boys and uh, and the ones who don't who get fewer resent that. Also, there are suggestions that uh, that the uh, it's a bureaucracy in just the sense that C.S. Lewis describes so beautifully in the Screw Tape letters and in that hideous strength. That is to say, really behind the scenes, everybody's out to get everybody else. Yep. Uh, it's a it's a radical pecking order thing going on all the time. Uh, and uh, one, one uh, a lot of the figures in it have uh have political names and uh three of them have communist names marx trotsky and lenin um and uh, Lenina. and uh um and and the, the, one guy is a very flawed guy bernie marx and uh he loves the society at a moment when he becomes a celebrity and an important man in it. He's proved to be a coward, however, and he hates the society when he's slighted, right? And that means uh, they haven't made this world perfect. They've just made it stable, and the constant uh, introduction of pleasure is the means. And uh, the Soma means that it's daily, on the instant, whenever you want it. Uh, one of their the, they they think and talk in slogans they askew big ideas one of the first points made in the book is uh he's he's giving a tour of the hatchery where the book opens the, the director of the hatchery an important man uh and and remember an important man can walk up to a girl and touch her on the fanny and uh she will come with him that evening Right? Whereas an unimportant man has got to put together some treat, like a trip or a, something, you know, uh, a good meal or something.
0: An incentive, and an he, incentive. It's yeah, not, that's
1: right. Some incentive not
0: command and control. Me. Yep.
1: And, they, and, they, and he says, I'm going to give you all the details here, but of course, uh, and we're going to give you a general view here. But of course, later after today, you're just going to have this detailed job and you just need to know that and uh and that, and everybody is taught not to think, and they have slogans as they remember to remind them of that and uh one of the slogans is, "If anybody's upset, everybody around them, including the alpha pluses who've been conditioned through hypnopedia that is lessons conveyed when they're asleep from the earliest days uh, a gram that's a gram of soma is better than a dam, and so If somebody's upset, they take a gram of something, and
0: they're not upset anymore. I want to end, because it's the bridge to next week and that hideous strength, which people have got to download and start reading. You will thank us for it. There is a great deal of religious faith attempting to break out, and penance. Uh, Sometimes in the classic understanding of penance, self-flagellation from the... Desert fathers and, and every and in fact we see it now in, in Islam on the annual pilgrimages to the various shrines in Iraq that we have grown accustomed to that there's a lot of religion trying to break through in Brave New World unsuccessfully. Larry, they've gotten rid of it.
1: That's right, and uh, if you uh, there are religious services which feature taking a lot of soma and doing a lot of chants, chants, and then it, and then he's coming, our Ford. Henry Ford is sort of God, and, uh, because he invents mass production. Um, but it also ends with chants about orgies. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, re- readers should uh, ask themselves, uh, I, I suggest that you pay attention to two things as you finish the book. One is, pay attention to Mustafa Mond. What does he say? It's his account of things, because he is the great judge, critic, and authority in the book, and he explains everything. And the second is the savage. The savage is a symbol of honor and civilization. And just ask yourself this specific question. What are the two things, two people, that he professes the deepest love for in the novel, and what does he do to them? And then you'll understand why the book is a tragedy.
0: Huh? Huh? Well put. Well, as, as always, well put. On to C.S. Lewis and That Hideous Strength, the third of three books in a trilogy called The Space Trilogy. It can be read independent of the other two. You can and should, I would recommend doing so. If you have the time, get the first two done out of The Silent Planet and um, I can't, Paralandra. But but read That Hideous Strength. You will love the conversation next week. Dr. Larry Arn. as always, go Tribe. Thank you for joining me, and we'll talk again next week.